Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBurge on Faith Radio. If we're going to fly, we fly like eagles. Arms now wide. If we're going to fear, we fear no evil. We will rise. By your power, we will go. By your spirit, we are bold. If we're going to stand, we stand as giants. If we're going to walk, we walk as lions. Good morning. Good morning. It's Friday. 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 12th of August 2022. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBurge on the Faith Radio Network. Thank you so much for including me in your day. Hey, if you're just joining us for the very first time, what what are we doing here? Like, who is this person and what is she talking about? So I, um, hmm, I'm raising kids. I'm raising chickens. I'm raising hopes. Yep. I'm bringing the mind of Christ to bear on the headline news of the day. Um, I'm absolutely approaching Um, the conversation through a um, redemptive or gospel worldview. You might have historically called uh, called that a biblical worldview, but I think that's, um, that can be, or a Christian worldview, but those terms can be misunderstood. And so I choose to describe my worldview as redemptive and gospel. And that way it leads to conversations about what do you mean by that? And then I get to tell people. So that's kind of fun. Okay, so today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day comes from Proverbs chapter 15, verse 3. Um, you can sign up to receive the Growing Your Faith verse of the day in your inbox every morning at MyFaithRadio.com. Today's verse, Proverbs 15, verse 3. The Lord is watching everywhere, keeping his eye on both the evil and the good. The Lord is watching everywhere keeping his eye on both the evil and the good. So uh, historically, you might have learned that this is um, God's, uh, the character attribute of God um, known as omniscience, the state of knowing all things at all depths, the full breadth of the cosmos, omniscience. God is all-knowing. But this, this particular proverb, the Lord is watching everywhere, keeping his eye on both the evil and the good actually points to God's omnividence, which may be actually a term that, you know, wasn't on the list of the ones you learned when you were little. Um, Omnividence means that uh, God can see and perceive everything. So it's the all-seeing nature of God. Omnividence. There's a V in the middle of that if you can't hear it. Um, And God alone is omniscient. God alone is omnivident. The Lord is watching everywhere, keeping his eye on everyone and everything. I'm remembering here um, Hagar. Remember the story of Hagar, who is, um, I mean, it's a tragic story, right? <clears throat> she, uh, she conceives and, and bears a son to Abraham because Abraham and Sarah didn't wait patiently for the Lord to bring about the birth of the son he promised in the way that he intended and so they took matters into their own hands, and um, Sarah demanded that Hagar, who was her servant, um, serve Abraham in this way. She delivered unto him a son. And then when um, God actually gave what he always intended to give, which was a son to Abraham and Sarah, um, they put Hagar out. 
with her child in the wilderness to die. But God is better than that. The Lord is watching everywhere, keeping his eye on both the evil and the good. It's hard to uh, pull out the threads or suss out the threads of good and evil in the story of Abraham and Sarah and Hagar. But omniscience is the attribute of God that Hagar identifies. And Hagar calls God Elroy, the God who sees. So let's be um, mindful today that God sees us. God sees you. God sees you right now from the heights to the depths, uh, in the brightest of moments to the darkest of despairs. God sees you. How does that make you feel to know that God sees you right now? God sees you for who you are. God loves you. God cares for you. God is concerned for your welfare. God knows the questions you're too afraid to ask out loud, and God sees the emotions you're trying to hide right now from the rest of the world. God sees you. God sees your inmost being. God sees your heart, your thoughts, and God loves you. Why don't we just rest and revel in that great good news this morning? The Lord is watching everywhere, keeping his eye on both the evil and the good. He sees you. Do you see things the way God sees them? That's part of what we're trying to do here each and every day is gain God's perspective on what's happening in the world, in our own lives, in our own hearts and minds. We're going to revel for a moment in the fact that God sees us right where we are, just as we are right now. Dr. Bruce Ashford is going to join us next. We're, um, we're going to talk about the seven deadly sins. Yep, the seven deadly sins in general, but also the seven deadly sins in American politics. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Dr. Bruce Ashford is back. You can find what we're talking about today at BruceAshford.net. Good morning, Bruce. Good morning, Carmen. Great to be back on the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So um, the traditional seven deadly sins, um, pride, greed, envy, wrath, sloth, lust, gluttony, um, as applied to, let's say... The politics of the day or our political life. Are there some ways we are tempted to commit those seven deadly sins in our political interactions? Yeah. So, you know, the, the interesting thing is, um, you know, I've been writing in politics now for about 10 years, and I've, I've noticed that there's a tendency on the part of some Christians, uh, maybe all of us at some point, um, to view the political realm as a realm that is a um, where we can set aside our ethics and do whatever we want to do. So we want to say, have attitude we want to have, and so forth. And uh, that's just not true. And so one of the ways of showing that that's not true is to go through um, the list of the seven deadly sins and show how they can affect us negatively in the political arena. Yeah, and then I love the way um, in this piece you you pair each of these with a remedy, um, and those remedies come from the Beatitudes. And so we'll talk about that as well. So um, when we look at the uh, when we look at the sin of pride, what are some ways we are tempted to commit the sin of pride in our political interactions? Yeah, no. One way of uh, another way of describing pride is just egocentrism. 
It's when mm. we want, uh, we, you know, it's when we kind of put ourselves at the center of the world and treat ourselves as, as if the world um, centers around us. So we deify ourselves. We make a god out of ourselves. And uh, in politics, you know, we see that all of the time. Um, we all, often in the political arena, our pride manifests itself in our ability to spot other people's sins, people on the other side of the aisle. And, but somehow seem unable to spot our own sins, unable to um, critique the sins of people on our side of the political aisle. Um, so a remedy for political pride is, is genuine humility. Humility is the root of all virtue, according to the Scripture. Um, and in humility, we realize that God is the center of the universe and that we're not, so we stop being obsessed with ourselves and our political tribe, and instead we work you know, to serve um, everyone in the country, including those who believe like us and those who don't. Yeah, I mean, I think that the growing desire um, in the United States of America for our political enemies to literally die, like, you know, when, when people are surveyed, there's a growing percentage of Americans who think that the world would be better off if their political enemies, whoever they are, um, would actually die. And that's... Um, that's the height of pride, um, and certainly humility is an absolute and appropriate antidote for that. Let's talk about the seven, uh, the second deadly sin here on the list, and that is greed. Yeah, and you make a good point about, uh, just to go back to pride for a second, you make a very good point. Um, you know, when we wish for somebody else to die, we have made ourselves into a god. Only God, you know, is the giver and, and, and taker of life. So, yeah, and, and then greed. Um you know, there is, in the Western world and in America in particular, there's an emphasis on uh, acquisition of wealth. And um, in the political arena, we can be greedy, too. Um, a, a greedy politician is someone who wants everyone to think that he's helping out the nation or that he's on the side of the working class or, or whatever, but really he is only helping himself. A greedy uh, public commentator or policy wonk is somebody who wants a job at a big think tank and wants to be on TV all the time, but doesn't really care about the people whose policies, uh, the the people his or her policies are supposed to help. A greedy opinion writer is one who doesn't care about the truth, but cares about what's going to get the most clicks and the most reads. And that happens all the time, folks. You need to know this in the political arena, that people um, sell out. Um, their integrity intellectually uh, in order to say in their opinion pieces or in their political talk show in the evenings, whatever the most people are going to want to hear. The the satisfying, I think of this as like the satisfying of itchy ears. It is. Now, Mm -hmm. when we look at a way to remedy greed and we look at the Beatitudes, mercy is Mm -hmm. a great a great antidote to greed because greed is so self-centered it wants to get for me but mercy um is 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 when we're other centered and so mercy is a good antidote um Amen. i think wrath is a really good one to talk about do we have time for that yet yeah 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 well, let's um let's take a super brief break and then when we come back let's talk about wrath because yeah people definitely want to talk about envy wrath sloth lust gluttony mm-hmm. yeah The Seven Deadly Sins, that's what we're talking about today with Dr. Bruce Ashford. Um, They are the Seven Deadly Sins 
in American politics or as applied to or seen in American politics. And there are antidotes in the Beatitudes. You can find the article at bruceashford.net. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. We're going down to the river, down to the river, down to the river to pray. We are going down to the river to pray. We're also going up to the mountains to talk with our friend, Dr. Bruce Ashford. You can find what we're talking about today at BruceAshford.net. We are wandering around in the seven deadly sins, um, and we are applying these ideas, these concerns to the politics of the day. Um, let's jump to um, let's jump to wrath. Um, what where yeah. do you see? Where do you see wrath? This is not actually not too hard when we just think about it for just a moment. Where do I see wrath in uh, the politics of the day? But then also, what's the antidote to that? What what's the um, what's the beatitude that answers that? Yeah, so it's, it seems today, especially over the past ten or twenty years, that Americans want a wrathful politics. Um, you know, um, and so what, what what you see you see the photographs that are chosen on Fox News or CNN usually have angry expressions on people's faces that paired with the articles um, our, in our presidential debates. People want the, the, uh, their president and uh, an angry society is not a good society. Um, we rage wars that we shouldn't, you know, often angry societies will, will wage wars that they shouldn't wage. Uh, their, their public demeanor is uh, pervasively uncivil. Um, and when a person is angry, we're normally willing to uh, lie or um, uh, believe the worst about our opponents. Um, we're willing to fill our Facebook updates with angry posts full of all caps and exclamation marks and things like this. So an antidote to wrath um, is meekness. Another one is peacemaking in the Bible. Um, meekness is strength under control, and peacemaking is the desire for reconciliation. Now, I do have to mention really quickly envy. There are entire political movements built off of nothing but envy. Mm. Envious society is one that wants its citizens to resent people who are more successful than they, and that is the epitome of American politics. Not not everyone in American politics, but resenting people who are billionaires. Now, it's okay to criticize them if they have undue influence in our politics. Uh oh, that sounds like the the that that sounds like the sound of a dropped call. Well, somebody was envying the opportunity that Bruce Ashford was having to share with us, and they, I don't know, he got zapped. So there you go. Um, we're going to return to our conversation with Bruce um, because Paul is now diligently working to reconnect with him. Um, but I can cover I can cover two of these that are on the list with you um, together, sloth and gluttony, because they are both answered by the same beatitude. So sloth is spiritual apathy. Um, undercuts our desire for God and our interest in him. Um, you can think of slothful um, politics as, you know, as frankly, that that which is not really energetically exploring all of the alternatives and the best answers to the question, um, but, but frankly, lazy. There's an apathy related to it. And Jesus instructs us 
um, not to be slothful, but to hunger and thirst for righteousness, this like this active attitude toward things. That, that's the same antidote um, for gluttony. Dr. Bruce Ashford is back. We're going to return, circle back around and finish the conversation about envy because it really is. I mean, it really is, Bruce, kind of the most evident um, of these sins in the politics of the day. Yeah, and I apologize. We have a an enormous okay. storm right now in North Carolina, and so I guess that's why my uh, call dropped. Yeah, so envy, um, you know, a large part of um, identity politics is really uh, not all of it, but a large part of it is envy. Um, I'm going to identify with my group of people, and we have we don't have what we want, but other people have what they want, and so we're going to build our entire politic around fighting for our own rights rather than for the rights of uh, all fellow citizens, that sort, that sort of thing. Do we have time to treat lust? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. We, yeah. We, better, we better talk about lust. There is a disproportionate amount of politics in America that revolves around the genitals. really does. And, um, you know, abortion uh, is, uh, revolves around reproduction. Um, uh, transgender, the transgender movement. The lesbian, the uh, gay movement, the intersexual, asexual, pansexual, um, all, all of these things, in one way or another, center around wanting to be able to follow our own desires uh, sexually. And an antidote to lust is purity of heart. And mm-hmm. purity of heart is when we love God above all, rather than loving sexual gratification above all. Um, so that's a big one. Gluttony. <laughs> Gluttony is the inordinate and indiscreet enjoyment of bodily things. It's when we seek our happiness in sensual things. And it's when, you know, a glutton is somebody, the medievals were great about glutton, and, and many of them were enormously, um, you know, gluttonous themselves. And so um, some of the medieval theologians, and so they made self-deprecatory jokes and so forth. But gluttony is revealed when we want to enjoy bodily things Immediately, right now, uh, sumptuously demanding the finest of foods, excessively consuming more than I need, greedily wanting it when I want it, and daintily, my meal must be per- perfectly per- uh, prepared. And and so, if you take the food analogy and gluttony and put it in the political realm, um, it, it may not be food that there's. Uh, that we, you know, gluttony may not be applied to food. It may be uh, applied to a politician's lifestyle that they live with mm. no real concern for the poor. If you look at a, if you look at many of the people who fight so hard for the working class and claim to care so much, they're enormously wealthy, and many of them give practically nothing to charity. That's a really good test of a, a person in the political realm. If they if they claim to be on the side of the working class, if they claim to be wanting to help out the little man. Um, and you take a look at their, their giving, and they give less than 3% a year or less than one-half of 1% a year to charity, there's something wrong there. That's not, you know, um, and, and that's really true, that, that uh, they, they release those sort of stats, and you'll see that some of the people who claim to fight the hardest for the financially disadvantaged actually themselves do not give generously at all. So yeah. in response to that, hunger and thirst for righteousness, Right. Yeah, I love the I love the way you're answering the um, 
you know, the list of the seven deadly sins. And I know those of you who are concerned that, you know, there's actually more than seven deadly sins. All the sins are deadly. Yes. But what we're trying to do is find a way to talk about things in the culture today. um, Look at them through a biblical uh, worldview and uh, and apply the mind of Christ. So this is this is a direct example of how how you do that. How do I how do I rightly see what's happening in the political conversations of the day? How do I um you know pull pull the fabric apart far enough that I can see the threads? I can identify them as pride or greed or envy or wrath or sloth or lust or gluttony. Um and then I can remind myself from Matthew chapter 5 of what Jesus has said. Um, and mm-hmm. what Jesus said would be blessed. And, and how can I be a person that operates out of the Beatitudes and not out of the seven deadly sins? Bruce, as always, um, thank you so much. It's, it's always um, so helpful to talk with you. He's got a lot of other great stuff posted at BruceAshford.net. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Here's a little something for you. A poll commissioned by Special K Crunchy Oat Granola. Now, I suspect that Special K Crunchy Oat Granola did not actually commission a poll, but that's what the news um, that I'm reading right now says. A poll commissioned by Special K Crunchy Oat Granola. I mean, I don't know how a box of cereal commissions a poll, but there you go. Um, Found that. Here's the finding of the poll. 6.44 a.m. is the ideal wake-up time. Mm-hmm. 6.44 a.m. is the ideal wake-up time. Why is that? Because it's best to spend 10 minutes in the shower, uh, 18 minutes eating breakfast, and 21 minutes exercising before you get out there and do anything else. So I don't, I don't know. I mean, there is like a huge math part of the article, which, I, which you guys know me well enough to know I skipped over. But depending on your time zone, you are either right now already rolling, you're out the door, Maybe you are having breakfast. We're having breakfast together, which I love. What are we having for breakfast this morning, by the way? Did you did you toast my bagel? Like I like my bagel like super toasty, not burnt, but super crunchy toasty. Because mm-hmm. I'm not a fan of wet bread, so like a, not a pancake. I don't. I ugh, French toast. Like I can't. Wet bread is not my thing. Super crunchy toast, um, or a or a crunchy bagel. Are we having that this morning? What are we having on it? Yeah, you can let me know. 877-933-2484. Text me what we're having for breakfast together, if that's what we're doing. Maybe we're working out. If so, what are we doing? I know there's at least one um, one friend out there who's riding a stationary bike because that's always what she's doing when she's listening uh, to the program. So I love that. Maybe you're still lying in bed. Uh, don't send me a picture of that. Um, you know, but you're getting your day off to a great start. Because listening to Carmen is actually not on the Special K Crunchy Oat Granola commissioned poll. I I feel like if they had added that question to the survey, like, right, how much more fun would their survey have been? They would have found that you actually need to get up before 6.44 a.m. Central Time, um, you know, to have the ideal start to your day. Yeah, I I just, I I feel like 4.44 is too late. But there you go. That's just me. Because, you know. How are you going to get it all in? All right. Um, thank you so much for including me in your day. I love being with you, doing whatever we're doing right now, even if we're still lying in bed. Mm-hmm. I like a cozy blanket, in case you were wondering. 
um, and a swishy pillow. There you go. Uh, we are going to uh, visit for a moment with our friend Max Lucado. This is Upwards. Oh, we already did, Max. Oh, look at that. I don't even know what we're doing, Paul. I, I need a... I'm so sorry. We're, we're mm-hmm. doing the break and we're then coming talk up. With Chris, are we going to talk to Chris Martin? Yeah, in about three minutes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> I clearly did not have my breakfast already, which um, I know. So I'm a little lightheaded. little special Chris, K for you right now. Yeah. little special K right now. Chris Martin's going to join us next. We are going um, to talk about teens and social media. How much time do you think teens are spending on social media? And what percentage of teenagers... Would you say, answered the question that they always, always have access to social media 24-7? That conversation up next. All right, Chris Martin is with us. Uh, He serves as an editor for Moody Press and a social media consultant. You can find him on Twitter at ChrisMartin17. Chris, I feel obligated to ask first off, um, what time did your alarm go off this morning and what did you have for breakfast? Because that is the um, subject matter on the text line right now. Sure. Uh, My alarm went off at 510 this morning and I haven't eaten anything for breakfast yet. I've just had about... Mm -hmm. A cup and a half of coffee. Breakfast will come after my time with you. Because mm-hmm. you know, so, if, I, if I ate, if I ate in the five o'clock hour, I'm going to be looking for lunch at like ten. You know, so it's not going to work. So, oh, oh, trust me. Oh, trust me. I know. <laughs> I'm sure you know. <laughs> I totally know. I'm, I'm like I'm generally having lunch at about ten. Um, all right, people are having everything this morning from um, from oatmeal to milk toast, which <clears throat> I'll just go ahead and say, don't invite me to breakfast for that. Um, chip beef on toast, pineapple, OJ, and ginger kombucha. I'm not sure that person is actually allowed to listen to this show, but I'm so glad you're here. (laughs) Like that is an, that is really good. Nobody's having eggs, which kind of surprises me because, um, that is my like go-to. Uh, David yeah. got up at four four twenty six a.m. There you go. Mary got up at four Uh, For the record, I, I probably will be doing, uh, like, some strawberry Greek yogurt at about seven mm. seven fifteen. Mm-hmm. So just so you mm-hmm. know, that's that's probably mm-hmm. where I'll be going this morning. Here, it's good. Sounds delish. Um, where are teens going this morning? Can we start there? Teens and social media. You have a really great piece posted at the gospelcoalition.org that people should read. Um, brief us in on that. Yeah, sure. So I saw um, data came out from Pew Research Center uh, just this week, I think it was on Wednesday. Cause I, I saw the article and, and saw that, saw the data and, and reached out to my friends at TGC and said, Hey, do you want something on this? And they said, sure. And I wrote it in like 45 minutes. Um, yeah, Pew came out with some new data this week on how teens use social media. And it's, it's, uh, enlightening. I love Pew. Pew has been on the front lines of doing great research around young people and social media and the two combined, for the better part of a decade, honestly, um, ever since I started writing about millennials back in the day, uh, around 2013, they were doing a ton of research on, you know, back when millennials were young people back then. And then uh, they've always had great research on social media. So, um, yeah, I found the data to be super fascinating. And and uh, th- there's just a number of statistics that are worthy of note, especially, I mean, if you're a parent or you work in ministry, whether it's student ministry or just local church ministry, um, the data is pretty revealing. Not As somebody who does work in student ministry myself and also uh, writes a lot on social media, there wasn't a ton that was super surprising, I guess you could say, but there was plenty of data that confirmed 
a lot of anecdotal observations, I suppose, that I and, and others have seen about how young people, and these are teens ages 13 to 17, so these are not adults, so they don't go to mm-hmm. 18 and 19 because those would those people would be included in any adult social media survey. So these are just um, pre-adult teenagers ages 13 to 17 who are using social media, and there are, there are a number of fascinating uh, revelations. They're from using it, Namely, it a lot. The, They're using it a lot. Oh, man. <laughs> oh yes. Uh, not, so so the um, one of the one of the craziest statistics is that forty six percent of teens say they use the internet almost constantly. Forty six percent. That's that's almost half. You could say basically half if you wanted to stretch it a few percent. Um, and like when I read that, I was like, oh, how sad. But then I was like, well, honestly, it's not like it doesn't have to be sad necessarily because it doesn't. It, what it doesn't say. What that stat is not is 46% of teens say they use social media almost constantly. And I think sometimes, mm-hmm. and I get this a lot when I talk to people about social media because I write about it a lot, is people conflate social media and the internet. And they're not the same thing. Like, um, people assume, like, I, I'm a technology writer sometimes because I write about social media. And I'm like, that's assuming that, like, a pediatrician writes about all things that have to do with being a doctor. Like they're just not the same thing. Um, and so the internet and social media aren't the same. So if you're reading this data and you're like, oh man, 46% of teens are on social media all, almost constantly. No, they're on the internet almost constantly, which means they could be playing video games or they, if they're watching or Netflix, music they would probably, or, yeah, or, or streaming music, music, right? Mm-hmm. Or even, yeah. Or even, I mean, kids here in middle Tennessee went back to school this week in, in full force. And a lot of them are using the internet for school. I went to youth group mm-hmm. on Wednesday night and there is a teenage girl, a senior in our youth group who walked in doing her calculus homework on her, on an app on her phone. And I was like, oh my gosh. You're in calculus. I could have never survived. But on top of that, you're you're doing it on your phone. And like that's how they're supposed to be doing it. And so I think I think we shouldn't be led astray by 46 percent of teenagers saying they use the Internet almost constantly. While it's fair to say that the vast majority of that is probably on social media or other such related apps, um, they are using it for significantly more parts of their lives than we probably even realize. Um, and so, so that's interesting. And relatedly, and I think this was an encouraging statistic, honestly, 36% of teenagers say they spend too much time on social media. While you may be listening and think, well, gosh, I wish I wish the, the full 46% who said they were almost constantly online said that they were spending too much time on social media. However, again, 46% of teens saying they're almost always on the internet, whereas 36% of them said that, said that they spend too much time on social media. And what was interesting about that is that older teens, the 15 to 17, based on how Pew categorized them, 15 to 17 are more likely to report that they spend too much time on social media than younger teens, those who are 13 and 14. And so we can't know why more older teens reported that they spend too much time. Uh, and younger teens didn't. It could be that older teens simply uh, spend less time and younger t- – sorry, older teens spend more time and younger teens spend less. So younger teens are less likely to say they spend too much. Uh, or this is where I think it could be encouraging, and again, we don't know, um, is older teens are maybe just a bit smarter and a bit wiser and recognize, yeah, I'm spending too much time on social media. Um, and, and so it was interesting to see that sort of age – uh, difference because uh, it was 42 percent of older teens and only 28 percent of younger who mm. who thought they spent too much time. So those are a few of the interesting t- statistics. One other one I, I want to note quickly: um, 
only 32% of teens use Facebook. And what's crazy ever. about this is you, like you hear, ever. Yeah, if you, yeah, at all, at all. And, and here's what's crazy. You might hear that. And again, I was not surprised that the number was that low. Like, yeah, 32%. Gosh, I, I probably fewer than one in three teens I know use Facebook. However, this is what's crazy about it. When the survey of teens was last conducted in 2014, 2015, it was 71%. So the, the share of United States teenagers who use Facebook has dropped by more than half in eight years. That's crazy. And if you, if you look at that stat, you have all the more understanding of why Facebook bought Instagram out of the bargain bin for a billion dollars in 2012. Because back in 2012, they already saw this trend happening. And you also know why they tried to buy Snapchat for $3 billion in 2013. Snapchat rejected them and said, no, we want to maintain our independence here. Um, and so it's, it's interesting uh, but not surprising, kind of. But it is is shocking nonetheless that only thirty two percent of teens use Facebook, the the mainstay of social media, the app that was once known as where the young kids hang out online, is now no longer for the young kids. And and we've always we we've known that for a few years, but this data really just cements that in stone. So there's um, a comparison in uh, in this Pew research between um, the the numbers or the percentage of teenagers who used particular social media platforms in 2014 and 15 versus those who use them today. And there's the, the actually two on the list, the top two on the list, didn't even make the list in 2014 and 2015. YouTube at 95% um, in terms of use among teenagers surveyed and TikTok, uh, 67%. Chris, I want to take a, a very brief break. When we come back, I want to specifically talk about YouTube and TikTok. Um, and YouTube is obviously the platform where everybody needs to be because it's the platform where everybody else is. Uh, TikTok is a dangerous place to be, and we're going to talk about why. We're talking with Chris Martin, the Terms of Service blog, the forthcoming Terms of Service book. We're also um, talking about uh, this piece that he has posted at the Gospel Coalition um, on the status of teens and social media. We're going to continue our conversation in just a moment. Are you on YouTube? Are you on TikTok? It's where your kids are. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of what we do on live radio every day. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you at MyFaithRadio.com. Right now, we're inviting you to share your Faith Radio story. What do you love about Faith Radio? What do you love about Mornings with Carmen? How has this program changed the way you think or the way you live, the way you engage others in the conversations of the day. We really do want to hear from you. Your story could ins- encourage someone else and certainly glorify God. So share what you love about Faith Radio by calling 877-933-2484 and leave us a message today. Again, thanks for listening. Hey, if you're just joining us, I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Mornings with Carmen on the Faith Radio Network. We're talking with Chris Martin from Moody Publishers. Uh, you can also find him at the Terms of Service blog on Substack. And and the book that came out in February is Terms of Service, The Real Cost of Social Media. The forthcoming book is The Wolf in Their Pocket. Yeah, you know, Chris, as soon as it was out of my mouth, I knew the word forthcoming was not accurately applied <laughs> to hey, the Terms right. of you know, Service for, book. For, so, for, yeah. for, 
for people who haven't read it, it is still forthcoming. So, you know, it's There fine. you go. <laughs> YouTube. Um, uh, every kid out there, every virtually every single one, 95% of them, um, YouTube is the place to go. Talk with us about YouTube and then also talk with us about TikTok. Yeah, totally. Um, YouTube is the most dominant social media platform among among teenagers. 95% of teens report using YouTube at, at some point throughout you know their regular rhythms of life. Not surprising at all. And it might be weird you know, if you're listening because it wasn't until 2016 that I began to really recognize YouTube as a social media platform. Which is – it's understandable why if you're listening, you might be a little bit confused. Like YouTube, social media, what? Like, okay, it's on the internet. What does that have to do with anything? And we don't need to get into all the all the technical reasons why YouTube is social media. But it is kind of odd because it's more of a television replacement than it is a normal sort of run-of-the-mill social media platform with a feed and friends like Facebook or Instagram, etc. And so it is a little bit of, a, of an odd duck in that way. But it has – a cult like YouTube has a culture. It really does. It creates culture. It has a means of communicating with one another through the comment section or, or things like that. So YouTube really is a social media platform and it is the most dominant by far at 95% of teens using YouTube. And, and again, about 20% of them, 19, say that they use it almost constantly uh, because it is there. It is a search engine for, mo for much of them. I don't think it's too far flung to say that YouTube is the most important website on the internet because clearly it's the most dominant uh, social media platform, not only among teens, but it's actually the most dominant among adults. In Pew's 2021 research of adults using social media, 81% of adults say they use social media. So 81% among adults, 95% among teens, YouTube is the most dominant social media platform, but it's also the second biggest search engine behind Google, which is its former owner and now its sister company under Alphabet, the parent company that owns those those tools. And so YouTube is the most important website on the Internet, I'm convinced. And, and I think you if you're listening and you have a teenager, you need to be aware of of how it's influencing them and, and what they're watching and, and just how especially the YouTube um, recommendation engine and how it how it recommends videos is just so powerful and so shaping in how we how we view the world beyond that relatedly, actually. 67% of teenagers use TikTok, and, and TikTok is the number two social media platform among, among teenagers. So you go from YouTube at 95 to TikTok at 67. And again, like you said before the break, this is TikTok's first appearance on any Pew social media report about teenagers, and it comes in at number two which is just wild, like absolutely crazy. While it's a solid almost 30 percentage points behind YouTube as the most dominant, it's five percentage points above Instagram, which is 62% of teens, and a full eight above Snapchat, uh, which is at 59% of teens. And, and teens are often using Snapchat in place of iMessage. And Instagram is kind of, you could say, teenagers Facebook, uh, if, if you will, but only 62% of them are using it about twice as many as are using Facebook. And Instagram has really been on the ropes lately in terms of PR among people, just because Instagram is constantly changing itself as of late to try to keep up with TikTok. Um, and so it's just, it's just kind of crazy to see TikTok appear on a social media survey like this for the first time and appear ahead of some of the really dominant mainstays of the social media world that have been on these surveys for the better part of a decade um, or even more. And so, um, so TikTok mm -hmm. is, is a dominant force. So we should be interested in it and, and uh, 
concerned about it might be too strong. We should be paying attention to it. Mm -hmm. And a little bit wary because of its source. But I want to get to the Mm -hmm. portion of your article. Again, this is posted at thegospelcoalition.org. It's by Chris Martin. I want to get to the portion of your article where you talk about social media as the greatest force of discipleship. Yeah. Um, If you're listening to any of this and perhaps you go read the article, you may wonder, like, okay, what do I do about this? Um, Mm -hmm. I, I conclude the article by saying that Attempting to disciple a teenager in the age of the Internet can feel like trying to put out a raging house fire with a pocket sized squirt gun. Um, And really, like, that's a fair feeling. Like, I totally understand that feeling, both in my work with students uh, in the student ministry at my church and in talking to a lot of parents and student ministers across the country over the last few years. um, It really a lot of people who care for young people feel helpless in what can feel like a fight against social media for the hearts, minds, and souls of teenagers. So what do we do? There's no like silver bullet and none of the things I'm about to list are like uh, fix-alls for what you may be seeing in the teenagers you care about. But here are a few ideas. First, you have to be willing to change your own habits. The average social media user spends about two and a half hours a day on social media. That's not just teenagers. That's everyone. Um, Two and a half hours a day. That's two and a half times more than the average person, than the, than the active church member spends at church in a given week, let alone how much time they may spend reading their Bibles. Um, so sure, uh, simply by sheer force of time, uh, social media is probably discipling not only us but our teenagers more than just about anything else. And before we try to instruct teenagers on how to better use social media, we, we should be willing to try to figure out how to better use it ourselves. Secondly, you can't go wrong, I don't think, you can't, you can't go wrong emphasizing the importance of living life offline. And I think this looks more like celebrating the richness of offline life than it does chastising teenagers who spend a lot of time on the internet. I think discipling teenagers who are always online doesn't require us to force them, hey, go take a walk, go play outside with your friends who aren't playing outside. But it, but it does, I think, require us to show them uh, that the best of life is lived away from feeds and apart from screens. And, and again, the best way we can do that is by demonstrating that ourselves. And, and third and finally, I think we have to model what it means to be the embodied church. The teenagers in your home, if you're listening to your parent or in your church, if you're a church leader, they may not yet be believers. But if we want to show them a better way, the best way to find community and meaning, we need to model what it looks like to do that in the embodied church and the God we worship. Practically, this looks like involving teens in all aspects of church life, from personal Bible reading to local church worship gathering to community groups and and more, obviously. Um, and I think if, if we have any hope of discipling young people or even, frankly, I, I don't think this is a student issue, a teenage issue. It just happens to be that's what the latest data is about. If we mm-hmm. hope to disciple anybody in a social media age – we need to put the time in and really work on our own relationship with social media before we try to um, it, uh, instruct people how to manage it themselves. Chris has a great piece um, posted on his Terms of Service um, substack called Hate Social Media? Stop Using It. Otherwise, understand what it is. Um, in, in, in briefest of ways, um, maybe we could summarize it this way. Like, you're responsible for your own social media presence. You are the one who controls who you follow. So you ultimately um, control the stream in your social media. So if you hate what you're experiencing there, um, then consider doing what Chris did uh, a handful of years ago and completely revamp who you follow. And that will actually utterly change your experience on social media. How did I do summarizing the article? 
That's wonderful. That's wonderful. So there you go. If you're going to be on social media, understand what it is. Um, a reminder to you that um, if a platform is free, you are the product. I always think that's a good reminder in all of this. Um, social media is uh, is the place where people are engaging and interacting. I mean, I invite you frequently to follow me on Twitter or on Facebook. And obviously, I need to get ramped up on YouTube because apparently that's where everybody is. <clears throat> but that's going to require a video component, which Chris knows I've been resisting for a number of years. Chris Martin, as always, it's delightful to talk with you. Um, thank you, as always, so much. Of course. Have a great weekend. Off to the strawberry Greek yogurt, which sounds really yummy right now. Yes. Fantastic. All right. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. This is a new day. Everything first Okay, of all the people who have texted in where they are, what they're doing, and what they're having for breakfast, I feel like uh, Sarasota, Florida is definitely uh, where I want to be. Walking out, watching the storks this morning, going to eat two fried eggs with a thin sliced sourdough toast and butter with a raspberry all fruit spread on it. Yeah, mm, either you or the person who talked about the crispy um, English muffin with the peanut butter and honey. That person, that sounds delicious as well. All right, um, I have a new resource to share with you, and eventually we will get Hannah on, who is the person behind this resource. But I thought that in a follow-up to our conversation with Chris Martin about social media and our teens, I didn't want to keep this information from you any longer. Um, There is a resource that you can find at filterfirst.org, filterfirst.org, Um, Filter is a smartphone and social media preparedness curriculum designed to empower young people, uh, middle school, high school, to set boundaries, create good habits, achieve healthier relationships with technology. It's designed to equip them with the tools that they need um, to help them navigate in the digital world and do so responsibly. It is written from a Christian worldview, but you're not going to see Bible passages, um, you know, pressed out into the forefront because the vision for filterfirst.org is that it be used in public schools. Um, so written by Christians for the world, filterfirst.org. If you want to get out there on the forefront of this effort, um, connect with Hannah, um, who, who wrote it. She's the energy and the mom of six who is behind it. Um, and I'm going to be fanning the flame of filterfirst.org. Um, until it's fanned into fire. Yeah, because I think it is really, really good. Wait till you see the videos of the teenagers talking to each other from a Christian worldview um, in a really powerful way on the topic of social media. Filterfirst.org. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. Grab a little breakfast and then come right back for hour two. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.